0: Today I want to start um, kind of a series within our theme um, on really the foundational doctrines about Christ, and we find this in um, Hebrews uh, chapter, end of chapter five, and the beginning of chapter six, and uh, we're going to spend the next several weeks talking about this because these are things that we need to know as believers um, and we'll see as we look at the scriptures um, that even scripture says that um, we should be teaching these things. These are things that we should know and actually be able to teach other people. And it really is, in a nutshell, it shows us the gospel and how we're to live uh, out of what Jesus has done for us. So, if you have your Bibles, um, I want to start off with with um, Second Timothy, but you can go ahead and turn to Hebrews chapter five verse number 12. Let's start with 1 Timothy, or 2 Timothy chapter 3, and it says this, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man or the woman of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped For every good work, God wants us to be equipped. So we're going to concentrate. Really, I mean, know first we got to believe that all Scripture is inspired by God. Can you say Amen? Amen. I believe that. If if someone's going to be wrong, it's going to be me, not the Word of God. I'm going to believe the Word of God, even if I don't understand it. I'm still going to put my faith in and believe that God will help me to understand. He'll bring understanding to because He wants us to understand. The Bible says he freely gives us the kingdom. Well, there's a lot in the kingdom. (laughs) Lord, we need some instructions, right? He's gonna teach us. He's gonna train us. And one of the ways he does that is through his word. He does it through his word. It's profitable. It's profitable for doctrine, for teaching. That's what doctrine is. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof. In times when we need to be told, that's not the right way, it's this way. For correction, when we need to be corrected, for instruction in righteousness. We need to be instructed in what it, what it is to be able to walk a righteous life before God. Can you say amen? amen. So that we can be complete. So I wanna look at Hebrews, and I should have that up on the screen for you. I wanna look at these foundational teachings. We're gonna start with chapter five, verse number 12, and we're gonna read through um, Hebrews chapter six, verse number two, and it says this. For though by this time... You ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. For he or she is a baby, a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Don't you think, as believers, ones who have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light... Who have been given the nature of God, who have been born again, don't you think we should be able to know the difference between good and evil? And the Bible says we do that whenever we begin to exercise. We're exercising our senses. Now, when we got saved, I don't know about you, but when I got saved, I saw things differently. I heard things differently, I felt things differently, and we should. The Bible says old things pass away, all things become new, right? Knowing that, hey, uh, you know, I didn't have conviction before I got saved in certain things, and then I did. It's like, wait a second. It was like the Holy Spirit tapping me on the shoulder and saying, hey, we don't need to do that no more. There's a better way. Okay, thank you, Jesus. Some of that training in righteousness, right? So we need to exercise. And he's saying here, you know, I love that at the beginning of it, he says, you know, by now you ought to be teachers. You know, it's, it's God's will for every child of God to be able to teach these six doctrines that we're going to talk about, starting with the first one today. And you don't have to be an eloquent teacher. You don't have to be necessarily up before a crowd of people, but we should be able to share these with people in our lives, especially pre-Christians. I kind of like that term, pre-Christians. They're just not saved yet but God made salvation available for them, amen? So he already made it, so they're just pre-Christians. But we need to be able to teach them and, and to help them, and we need to get it solidified in our own lives so that we're making sure we're exercising our godly senses to discern between good and evil. Now let's look at Hebrews chapter six, carrying it on. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ These are the beginning, the basic principles. Let us push, let us go on to perfection or maturity, not laying again, here's the six doctrines, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God, of the doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal Judgment. These, these seem to be pretty important. Don't they sound pretty important? I mean, they're so important that the writer of Hebrews, as he's, he's writing this letter, he's saying these are the foundational truths about Christ and the foundational truths on which we base our relationship with Jesus. And God wants to build. He, he's into building his church, and we want to make sure that we're connected to the foundation and we're building properly. Remember, we went over that scripture already. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. I don't know about you. I don't want to build something in vain. I don't want to spend my life building something and find out that God wasn't a part of it, and I had some hopes and dreams that he wouldn't be a part of it. And we're going to do things his way. Amen? And sometimes doing things his way means that we need to turn some things in our own thinking, or we need to turn away from certain things so that we can do it his way. So we already went through this scripture. I'm not, gonna, I'm not going to um, go back through it again, but I do want to mention it this morning uh, in, in Corinthians 3, 3, or 3.11, where it says that, you know, no man can lay a foundation other than the one that has already been laid, which is Christ Jesus. He's the foundation that was laid. And this is where I wanna start first. We're gonna get into, today we're gonna talk about um, that, that foundation, that first foundational truth which is repentance from dead works. This is so vital. And you know what, I wanna do this. You know, in some, I, I looked at these, these things and I have taught on these things you know, by themselves here and there in, in different spots but never collectively like, like this. And I, I believe it's gonna be empowering to you. And I just wanna say, hey, I'm sorry. I'm sorry as a pastor that I haven't done this already. The only thing that I know I haven't taught through on this specifically is a laying on of hands. And we're going to talk about that. What does it mean to lay on hands? What's all that about? We're going to do it collectively together because we're working on the foundation this year, right? Jesus Christ, our firm foundation. So before we get into the repentance of dead works, we need to understand some things about Christ. We need to understand Christ and him crucified. This is what Paul said. This is really our starting point. This is what Paul said to the church at Corinth. In 1 Corinthians 2, he said this, and I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness, and fear, and in much trembling, and my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words in human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Man, I believe God is doing something and I, it's not just in our church, I believe he's doing it in the earth, and I've seen as God gave us this theme last year, actually it was a before, but we really got solidified on it, doing it for this year, the middle of last year, and then just like looking at things as I look at some other ministries that I glean from and stuff and just seeing in different ways and how they're bringing about almost the same thing, because God is working on his church. He's ready for us all to go to the next level, but he's not going to waste his resources either. He wants to make sure when he builds upon his church that we're connected to the foundation so we can stand. Having done all to stand, we stand. You can say stand there. We, we, having done, we, we stand. Thanks, guys. You guys are so encouraging. <laughs> so <laughs> he talked about, you know, he's doing this, and it's, this, I'm so excited about this because this is going to give us confidence in our faith in Jesus Christ, These basic things, you see, once you get the basic things, you never stop doing the basic things. They are the basis of everything else that our faith is built upon. You never, when you go to college, once you're in, you know, you go through elementary school and you learn the reading and the writing and, uh, you know, arithmetic, all this different stuff that's going on, uh, you go through that. Whenever you get into, you know, high school, you don't stop doing that. When you get into college, you don't stop doing the basic things. They just get built upon. But you can't go into college all of a sudden not knowing how to read or write or all these things and and, and expecting, you know, I don't even know how to add one plus one. I don't even know what that is. And it's time for some really hard geometry and some of these different things, especially if you're going to be an engineer. I have no idea what you're talking about because we miss the basic things. So God's bringing us back around. Not to say, hey, we missed everything, but let's just solidify things. Just like we talked about earlier. Let's just get some of those things that are just a little bit loose. Let's tighten them up. Some of that stuff that's in between you and the foundation, let's get rid of that so you can be solid on the foundation. And Paul, he gets excited about this too because he said in Romans 1.16, he says, the gospel of Christ is the power of salvation. It's the power of God to salvation for anyone who will believe. And when we look at that word salvation, it doesn't mean just saving from our sins. It means saving from our sins, but it also encompasses that word, encompasses everything that we need, healing and deliverance and soundness and wholeness, everything. It's a completeness that he did for us. So if we want to present the gospel, there's four things that we need to know about the gospel. I'm going to give these to you real quick. And then I'm going to expound a little, just a little bit upon them. One is the creation of people. We need to understand the sin of people, Jesus' substitution for people, and then our restoration. So we need to understand this as believers that when God created, sometimes we forget. We get in the church and we just forget about this. God created people Perfect. Adam and Eve were perfect, there was no sin, there was no sickness, there was no disease, they had the righteousness of God. But through disobedience, God didn't want robots, he gave them a choice, he said, you know, he gave them a place where they could disobey if they chose to because he wanted them to be obedient. He said, here's a tree, all the trees you can eat, who knows how many thousands of trees were in the garden. You can eat anything you want, but don't eat of this tree because the day you eat of that, you will surely die. And they ate, and they died, not physically, right away. Eventually, they died physically, but spiritually, they died right away. They they spiritually died. They were spiritually disconnected from God. And understand that God created people perfect, and that because of disobedience, sin, disease, sickness, impurity, all these things entered the world, and mankind became a slave to Satan, to do his will. Well, that wasn't good enough for God. So he had a plan for Jesus to be our substitute. He's our substitute. He's the one. Jesus had to to take our place to pay the penalty of our sin and to make a way for us to be able to come back to God. This is gonna lead us into, in just a moment, repentance from dead works. The Bible says in 1 John 3, 8 that the Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. So I got a question for you. Did he destroy the works of the devil? Yes. Is the devil still working? But are those works destroyed? Yes, they are. He defeated him. What happened is there was a transfer that happened because of Jesus' substitute. Satan had legal permission to rule the world because he had legal access through the ones who were given the world to govern, which was Adam and Eve. When they sinned, they gave up their authority, not back to God, they gave up their authority to Satan, and he became the God of this world. Well, the only way to get that back, God knew, was he had to come. There had, penalty had to be paid. There was a legal transgression. The legal, the, things legally had to be done the right way. So the only one that could do that was God. He sent Jesus. He came, and before he rose from the grave, he went up to the devil. I want to get the replay of that. I don't know how he did. If he walked up like, you know, hey, <laughs> whatever. I don't know. He grabbed the keys, and he resurrected. And Satan was there without keys. Probably trying to play it off. No demons, I still got the keys. know. No. He didn't have the keys anymore. God had the keys, and guess what he did? Gave them to his sons and daughters, those who will believe, to exercise our authority in the earth. He came. I want to just spend just a brief more moment here on Jesus' substitute. Listen to this. This is so powerful. And I I want to learn more about this because especially when it comes to healing and and, and working with, with the Spirit I want to learn more about this. And when you learn more by getting into the word of God and finding out what the word of God has to say about it, meditating on it, it just don't happen. You don't just confess something once and think you're going to walk in all these things. But look at what Isaiah says. Isaiah chapter 53, four through six. It was our sickness that he himself bore. Talking about Jesus, Isaiah was prophesying about what was going to happen with Jesus when he came. It was our sickness that he himself bore and our pains that he carried yet we ourselves assume that he was he had been afflicted struck down by god and humiliated but he was pierced for our offenses he was crushed for our wrongdoings the punishment for our well-being was laid upon him and by his wounds we are healed All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Man, there's some powerful... Jesus, man, if he's not your hero yet, he is your hero now. I mean, that's some pretty awesome stuff that he carried. We, every one of us, we... Like, like sheep, it said. We've gone astray. Everyone, just like sheep, we've gone astray. We've gone to our own way. And even in the midst of that, God the Father laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all. That word iniquity, kind of just the easiest way to say without going through all the different Greek words for it, is just to say our faults. Our faults. And it it encompasses three different things. It has to do with our faults. It has to do with the guilt that comes from our faults. And it has to do with the consequences and the punishments for our faults, our iniquity. So the iniquity was laid upon him. Our faults were laid upon him. The guilt for our faults and our iniquity was upon him. The consequences and the punishment of it fell upon him. My friend, if you guys remember Mark and Victoria Bowling that was here, He's an evangelist, um, just powerful ministry that God has them to do. He said this about this scripture. Mark said, Jesus bore our sicknesses and he carried our pains. He became our substitute. God placed on him our sickness, disease, and pain. He took them and completely removed them from us. He died with them, was buried with them, and he rose again without them. He died with them, he, buried with, he was buried with them, and he rose again without them. Mark went on to say, that's the gospel. <laughs> that is the gospel. And that brings us into our restoration. We talked about those four things that we need to know if we're going to know about the gospel. We need to know that man was created perfect. God created man perfect, innocent. Man sinned. It lets sin into the world. Satan was the God of the world, right? Jesus came to make amends, make a way for us to come back, anyone who will believe. And then we have our restoration happens. Our restoration is dependent on how we respond to what he did. It just don't happen. The Bible says that salvation has appeared to all mankind. Salvation has appeared. So why isn't everyone saved? Because everyone doesn't appropriate what Jesus has done for them. One of the reasons is they they can't get saved is because we don't tell them. We, as believers, we need to be telling people about the gospel. It's good. The gospel is good. It's good news, right? That people can be saved, that people can be healed, they can be delivered, they can be set free. Any guilt and shame that they've experienced can be done away with through the person of Jesus Christ. Are you with me? So, this brings us to Repentance, talking about repentance from dead works, let's start with repentance itself. You know, probably one of the most commonly known definitions of repentance is to change your mind, and that's good, that's part of it, but that's only part of it. Just changing your mind ain't going to help you walk in the fullness of what God has for you. It's not going to solidify repentance from dead works in your life, just from changing your mind. You know, Another thing is some people think that when you have remorse, that that's repentance, but remorse is not repentance. Remorse is just to be sad. You're sorry that you did something, but that doesn't mean you're going to turn from what you've done. An example of this in scripture is Saul. Saul was one, King Saul, the very first king of Israel, outside of Jesus, obviously. They turned away from the Lord. They wanted some, a king just like other nations. Saul became king, and he was remorseful. Whenever he was confronted, he would be remorseful. He was sorry. He would, would in a sense, be repentive in that moment, but not a true repentance because he went back and did the same things he was doing. There was no change. He may be mentally ascended to it for a moment, but then he went back to his ways. Job is a good example of one who repented. You know, he, things were happening to him and, and he, had a, he had an idea of what Jesus was like or, you know, what God was like. And, and then when God rebuked him and told him, he actually changed everything about himself. He said, I knew of you only by the hearing of the ear, but now I have seen you and I repent in sackcloth and ashes. And he changed his life, not just the way that he thinks. So repentance, true repentance Encompasses three things. Number one, a change of mind. You gotta have a change of mind. Yeah, you gotta, you gotta know you're changing your mind, but it's just more than just changing your thoughts about it. You have to change your feelings about it. How you feel about it. You're also changing in purpose. It's your purpose, your direction, where you're gonna go. It's not just saying in my mind, yes, I, I know this. No, there's a complete change in your person from your ways unto God's ways, it's that change. You inwardly change your mind, your purpose, your attitude and feelings towards sin and your ways and then turn towards God and the results of that is outward change of action. Just because you do actions doesn't mean, people can for a while, you can sustain what looks to be like repentive actions for a season by outward actions but you can't sustain it without true repentance. Because true repentance will be of your mind, of your soul, your emotions. You're you're looking at things differently, completely now. Let's look at a couple things that uh, Jesus said about repentance. In Mark chapter 1, 14, it says this, Now after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. Here's a great teaching if you want to do it yourself, a great study, I could say is you go in and you look, the difference between uh, you know, just when the gospel is preached or when it specifically says the gospel of the kingdom is preached. When it, when it talks about Jesus, there's always the gospel of the kingdom. Paul will talk about that too. There were things that were going on. but He says, he began to preach the gospel of the kingdom and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. What's the gospel? We already went through this about Jesus. Man was perfect man sinned. Jesus is our, our substitute. and We have restoration as we're putting those things into practice. Remember, by reason of practice, we exercise ourselves between what's right and what's wrong. Jesus said, repent, change, and believe, turn to God in the gospel. According to Jesus, everyone needs to repent. There was a uh, a time when he was sitting with his disciples and other people were around listening to him and someone brought up the topic of the Galatians. They said, well, Jesus, you know, well, what about the Galatians that, you know, that were murdered and, and, and Pilate mixed their blood with, with the Roman sacrifices? And then another the brought it up and, you know, what about the, the, the tower at Siloam that fell upon the 18 people? And Jesus said, do you think because these things happened to them that they're worse sinners than anybody else? And he answered himself. He said, no, they're not. But unless you repent, you will also likewise perish. Everyone needs to repent. Repentance is actually the first response to God from a sinner. Every one of us, that was our first response to him, was to repent. If repentance is genuine, there will be fruit produced that proves that repentance Not perfection, fruit. In that same story where he was talking about the Galatians and and the the tower that fell upon the 18, he went on the very next verse, he began to tell a parable just about the fruit that's needed for repentance. He's talked about this farmer that went to his farmland and he's looking at the trees and he saw this one tree. Everything else is producing fruit and this one tree is not producing fruit. So he told the farmhand, he said, take this tree and get rid of it. And the farmhand said, no, master. Let me, let me give it one more year. Let me dig around it, and let me help it. Let me fertilize it. Let me give it a little extra care, and if it produces fruit, good. If not, then we'll take it out. Jesus told that parable. Sometimes we, we split things up. That's the part of the context we've been talking about, keeping things in context. He was talking about what he had just mentioned about the Galatians and the, the tower at Siloam. He was bringing it in to, listen, if there's going to be repentance, there's going to be fruit that happens because of true repentance. John the Baptist said, hey, bring forth fruit that proves that you've repented. What's that fruit? Fruit of the Spirit. The ways of God, walking in righteousness as it's Him. Not, it's not that we can do in it ourselves. It's something that happens in through us as we yield to Him. Are you with me? Yes. Thank you, Jesus. The Apostles' message. They talked about it. It was an impossible in like a one, a one teaching to be able to say how many different times the apostles talked about, or even Jesus, when it came to repentance. I'm just going to give a few. This is on the day of Pentecost. Peter had just, you know, they had just been baptized in the Holy Spirit. And uh, people are confused or wondering what's going on. And Peter begins to give a message, begins to tell them about Jesus, how Jesus came. You know, he was here among us. He was crucified. He's the one. He's the lamb that that God had sent to take away our sins. And the message that he taught, the the gospel of Jesus about we're sinners, we need need redemption. We've got to appropriate this in our lives. The Bible says this in Acts chapter 2, verse number 36. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men, what are we to do? What shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent. And let every one of you be baptized in the name of Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You repent and your sins are taken away. Says it again another time, Peter... Peter comes in, this is after, um, after they healed the man at, um, in the gate, beautiful, the guy you know, that, was, that was a cripple there and people were coming and he, he began to teach them again and say, listen, you know, you're the ones that, that put Jesus to death on the cross you know, and our leaders there, they did all this stuff and he begins to preach the same gospel. If you go through the book of Acts, you see when they're laying it out, they lay forth almost these four things. It's like there's everything that, that happened up to this point and what Jesus did and our responsibility over and over. It's beautifully laid out between the apostles when they're teaching in the book of Acts. And he says, listen, he says, you, you, need, to, you need to repent and be converted. That word converted is to undergo change. And actually in the um, the Webster's, I like the, the Noah Webster trans uh, of dictionary from 1828. It's older. But he actually uses scripture in there. That's pretty awesome to have a, a, a dictionary that uses scriptures in it. And this is what he said. To, uh, to be converted is to undergo change, and it means this, in a more strict way, one who turns to holiness. He'll give scriptures. He actually brought up this scripture about being converted inside the dictionary. I was like, I like a dictionary like that. Thank you, Jesus. So repent, therefore, and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. So, just because we say something, you know, we have what we know as the sinner's prayer, we say a prayer doesn't mean things changed. You know, we, we believe we're, we're saved and we don't take away the confession of that. We believe in our heart, we confess with our mouths, but there has to be change. We need to know that we're completely changed because it's a, it's a change of our actions and our thoughts towards the things that God says is holy and righteous that your sins may be blotted out. Repent and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out. So we see that repentance and conversion happens before the sins are actually blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. So that's repentance. It's a change of mind. It's a change of your feelings, of your actions, your purpose. You're changing from what I think is right to what God says is right. God, we gotta be careful because, you know, just like it was in, in the book of Judges, you know, there's these scary scriptures that are in there that says, and the people did what was right in their eyes. When we do what's right in our eyes, we will continue to be the sheep that just keep walking astray, amen? We don't wanna do things that are right in our eyes. We wanna do things that are right in his eyes, and his eyes are the most important. So we're talking about repentance from dead works. So we kind of defined repentance now Let's finish with dead works. What are dead works? Well, there's two things I'm going to look at. Generally speaking, a dead work refers to any deed that produces death, any deed that produces death. Scripture shows us, you know, any work not based on truth is going to produce death and bondage. And here's a scripture, so many scriptures we could use. I'm just going to pull this one out. It says Ephesians uh, chapter... Chapter 5, verse 3 through 8, and actually before I get into that, Ephesians 2, 1 says before we were made alive in Christ, we were dead in our transgressions and our sins before we were made alive. And these things that we're going to read through, a lot of us were involved in this, but we've been saved and sanctified, amen? So here's Ephesians 5, 3 through 8, it says this, that there be no sex sin, impurity or greed among you. Let no one be able to accuse you of such things. Dirty stories, foul talk, and coarse jokes, these are not for you. Instead, remind each other of God's goodness and be thankful, for you can be sure of this. The kingdom of Christ and of God will never belong to anyone who is impure or greedy, for a greedy person is really an idol worshiper. He loves and worships the good things of this life more than God. I want to point something out here. It's kind of interesting. He first talks, starts talking about sex, sin, impurity, and greed. And impurity involves all types of sex sins as well as homosexuality. All those things are going, you can look for yourself when you begin to look that up. But he starts talking about sex, sin, impurity, and greed. Then he goes down and he just talks about greed and impurity. And then he just talks about greed. It's like he's like going down, and really the whole thing, all the sin comes down to greed. Why? Because we're doing what we want to do, not what he wants to do. And that's why he finalizes it by saying, listen, a greedy person is really an idol worshiper. He loves and worships the good things of this life more than God. Don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins, for the terrible wrath of God is upon all those who do them. Don't even associate with such people. For though once your heart was full of darkness, now it is full of light from the Lord, and your behavior should show it. Amen. You know, Paul, uh, he was known as the, the apostle to the Gentiles, and everywhere he went, he taught on this. He, he was like, you know, teaching people to turn. From idolatry to God. Turn from these dead things and turn to God. In Acts 14, 15 it says, Men why are you doing these things? They had just healed healed a crippled man. Remember that there was a part where Paul was speaking, and there was a guy that he saw there. And when Paul looked at him and saw that he had faith to be healed, he says, Rise up and walk. And the guy jumped up and walked. And as soon as they did this, the people that were there in, in that area, they got all excited. They're like, Oh my goodness, God has come among us. We must have Zeus and, and, and Hermes with us. And they took Paul and they're going to start sacrificing to them. And Paul's like, No, 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 no. Whoa, 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 what are you doing? That's where we come into the scripture. Or was I at? Right there. Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men with same nature as you, and we preach to you that you should turn from these things. What are these, these useless things? They're dead works. Turn from these dead works and to the living God. Here's the point. You have to see things that Scripture says is wrong as wrong. And when you see that you're agreeing with Scripture, you have a change of mind you have a change of feeling, you have a change of purpose. Amen. And we're not going out, we're not going out to point out everybody's sin. We're showing them that they don't have to stay in that sin. There's a better way for them through the through the blood and resurrection of Jesus Christ. When it comes to the works of the flesh or sin, there must be a change of mind, feeling purpose towards it. And you say, "I'm changing my mind about that." God is good, God is holy. This stuff in my life is no good. I'm leaving it behind, and I'm turning to God. Now, when Paul... Well, no, it wasn't Paul. I don't know if it's Paul. Some people think it's Paul. Some people think it was or Tartilius, I think it was, or, um, that wrote uh, Hebrews. The point of the matter is that Hebrew was really, Hebrews was really written to Jews that had been converted to Christ. So... Um, dead works is turning from those things that we would do beforehand. You know, we just talked about some of those things that are in there, repeated many times in Scripture. But dead works is also uh, referring to performing any religious deed or work of the law in an attempt to earn favor with God and become righteous in His sight. Because the Jews, when they got saved, they were, a lot of them were still trying to hold on to the law we still got to do the law. we still got to do all these things and Jesus. And Paul's like, no, Christ is the end of the law to anyone who believes. He fulfilled everything in the law for us so we don't have to do the law. He did it for us. We don't do those things. It's like it's there and there are guides to us. And yeah, they're still being done, but they're being done through Jesus. He completed it perfectly. Obviously, you know, he didn't, he didn't do away with the law. The Bible, said, the Bible don't even say he did away with the law. The Bible says he fulfilled the law. He fulfilled it because it was impossible for us to do it. But the Jews had, a, had, a, had some trouble with that, differentiating between we got, got to do this and this. He's like, no, if you're still doing that, you're still trying to be made right with God through your own works, and it don't happen that way. It's not going to happen that way. Acts 17.30 says this, God now commands all men everywhere to repent because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained, which is Jesus Christ. We must have his righteousness, not our own. You've heard me say this before. It's his standard, not ours. It's his standards. I, I, I like. I love that. Uh, quote from Andy Stanley, I said it a couple times recently, but you know, he says, you have a choice to, to be able to choose Jesus, but once you choose Jesus, you don't, have a, you don't get the choice of saying what serving Jesus looks like. That's not your responsibility. He's the one that sets the standard. Jesus is the standard. We want to do it his way. And we don't have to do it with works. You know, if we have a repentant heart, it's not going to be done in works. So if we have a repentant heart, we're changing because we've been totally changed. We've been set free. He, he delivered us. He's helping us. He's here with us. You do it. A lot of times we just, it's that constant checking ourselves. Sometimes we can get in there. I can get in there sometimes, you know, because I did this, you know, and we got, no, that's, that's all pushed out the door. It's because of what he's done. Nothing that we've done. It's not because you led 15 people to the Lord that you got special credits with God. No. It's because of what Jesus did. Are you with me? A person must understand they are not just to admit that they are a sinner. They must also acknowledge that they cannot earn salvation by their good deeds or by attempting to become a better person. I'll leave you with two scriptures. Galatians 2.16 says this, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. Be justified means no flesh will be declared righteous. Who declares us righteous? Not ourselves. He declares us righteous. We can speak what he speaks, but he's the one who declares us righteous. If we could be righteous without God, right, Jesus wouldn't have had to have died. He'd be like, hey, if there was going to be a plan, trust me, I would have taken that one. But he didn't. It had to happen and then Romans 3:20 Therefore by the deeds of the law no flesh shall be justified in his sight for by the law is the knowledge of sin but now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed this is exciting being witnessed by the law and the prophets the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus it's the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus to all who believe, to everyone who will believe. Man, these are just, this is just a foundational teaching, but you can see it's, it's weighty. You don't, want, you don't want like balsa wood on the bottom of something that's going to be several stories high. You want something that's thick, something that's strong, something that's sturdy. Well, this is a great first foundational teaching about Christ and our faith of turning away from sin, turning to God and, and seeing things the way that he sees them, amen?